0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. The NFL Combine is just a week away, and as you may have heard, This class is absolutely stacked, loaded at the receiver position. So today, Mario and I are going to dive into players that we're keeping a close eye on in Indianapolis next week. Let's start the show. going on, everybody? This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. We're breaking down wide receiver prospects for the 2024 NFL Draft Class. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. Uh, Mario, we've kind of set the record already as far as the the top guys are concerned. We talked a lot about Marvin Harrison, Roma Dunze, Malik Neighbors uh, during the pod last week. Unpacked a little bit of Troy Franklin um, as well, Um, but you know, of those guys, you know, we, we we've said what we needed to say as far as their, their on field production is concerned. But the, is there anything that's standing out to you that that, um, you know, could make or break them as far as that that tier is concerned uh, at, with the combine testing next week? Like, is there a speed element that, that may be untapped or unknown when it comes to a guy like Adunze, who's known more as like a, a, a big possession downfield guy? Or you know, is neighbors someone that that could challenge to go under four uh, four? Anything that you're looking at in particular with, when it comes to the workout metrics for that top tier?
2: Well, I think that top three is pretty locked in, especially Harrison and Adunze. Uh, neighbors is in that category, I think, where he at once um, probably will do better at the combine. Like he'll, he'll he's more likely to make kind of uh, the sort of jumps and you know run times that that make you stop and say you know that wait what was that number again uh but he also kind of needs to do that more he's he's six foot 200 maybe 205 maybe 210 something like that whereas harrison and and Odunze both could be something like 64 220 so when you're as big as those two and when you have the demonstrated like underneath intermediate uh volume capacity that they do um oh, my video went out for a second anyway uh mm-hmm. so uh neighbors if he's not going to be as polished and as you know formidable underneath and in the intermediate as as harrison and adunze then he needs to beat them in a combine setting it's it's not really like neighbors jumps ahead by uh slightly outperforming harrison and adunze he needs to kind of he needs to kind of uh put his mark on the you know the 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 uh, category of uh downfield big play receiver in this draft and he needs to claim it uh for himself decisively to compete with these other two because he's neighbors cannot compete with Harrison and Udoomsay at those other things it's just uh they're 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 master level at it and even if he's good he can't catch them there
1: yeah that that, that would be tough so the the combine could could help kind of help Close that gap just a bit. I've noticed, and you may have noticed it as well a bit on on Twitter, that the discourse, you know, we we talked about it a little bit with with Caleb Williams where the magnifying glass comes out and maybe there's a little bit of boredom, a little bit of exhaustion. It's like we've heard this guy's name for years as being a a top guy in the 2024 class. And Harrison seems like he's getting that a little bit. You know, people are tweeting out their, their metrics. Yep. And they're saying, like he's good, but he's not as special as you know we we've been led to believe after looking under the hood a little bit more. Do you, do you have anything to add there?
2: So I will say Harrison has apparently been going like 18th overall in early best ball drafts, and to me yeah. that is way too early. That's insane in my opinion. But um, and so I I don't uh, barring testing at the combine that kind of just objectively puts him in such such company, I don't see Harrison as a lock to be in this um. Actually, I don't expect him to be in the the Jamar Chase level of uh, wide receiver prospect, uh, let alone you know like Calvin Johnson or something like that. So, uh, with that said, it, that that's because when I watch Harrison, I don't see the obvious, you know, like four four speed or something. It's I think if I had to call it right now without any knowledge of athletic testing, I'd say Harrison, Andrew Dunze, like th- they're they're both very similar to each other um in, t- in terms of like the- their traits and what they can do in an offense and how many times and with what level of returns but both Odunze and Harrison to me project largely as Drake London pretty much and I know a lot of people would hear that as an insult or something to me it's not I think London's uh you know he's he's like a 70 75 grade receiver prospect to me so um uh, it's in the it, the reason I'm also mentioning London is it's the category of you know 6'4 215 who can give you, you know, a hundred catches at above average efficiency eight to 10 times in his career, you know? So it's, it's not, uh it's not a, it's not an insult to be that player instead of Justin Jefferson, you know, it's like the, 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 there, there has to be something less than Justin Jefferson. And it, it's, it's uh, fine if you're not a, a dominant at all levels of the field at, at max, at max efficiency, max volume, like chase and Jefferson are
1: right. And, and, you know, it's, this can be an inexact science. I mean, Jefferson was definitely not the first receiver ta- taken in his class, right? Um, <laughs> um, I, but was that the the setup where the the Eagles had taken Jalen Rager right before, and then the, then the Vikings? Had, yeah. yeah. So, um, you and know, Jefferson th- this...
2: had largely. I mean, uh, the the trap that I fell for at the time was that he since he was running from the slot at LSU, and since he made everything look so easy. Uh, it wasn't obvious that Jefferson was the athlete that he actually turned out to be, but then he ran a four, four, three at the combine. So yeah, he's, he's an example of the kind of, you know, the reason why you have to be able to adjust quickly uh, when stuff like that comes out, because once he showed, he can access the the deeper depths of the field. It was like, okay, we we now have no, uh, there's no, there's no task we can name that he doesn't project uh, very well or better at. And uh, sometimes it's as simple as it looks in, in the case like that.
1: True. And with with Harrison, you know as it pertains to like the the redraft best ball um market for for this year, I think there there's also and uh Sam Sherman was pointing this out uh on Twitter where it's like if he's if he goes to the Patriots at three, like that like even if he is the the number one target for for New England, there's no way that he's returning. Top 24 value. I don't think.
2: When is the last time? Did a rookie receiver ever go that high before? They're taking him like where, where top 10 running back picks used to go. It's crazy. uh Yeah, taking Harrison anywhere before like the fourth or fifth round, in my opinion, in best ball is completely 100% bonkers. And yes, if he ends up on a team like Calvin Johnson had like 700 yards his rookie year, you know, like it, it is a circumstance dependent position no matter how talented they are that's that's just a fact that we've been able to establish at this point
1: right and you know if, if he does end up going three and uh, I, I suppose next week's testing could go a little ways to- towards firming that up one one way or the other but you know with the expected draft range for for Harrison if he goes to the Cardinals that then I could see him as like a round like a late round three ty- type of target but if the market says that that he's late round two, then I'm just not going to end up with him.
2: Yeah. You're going to have to take him over like three or four guys who had a hundred catches last year. It's crazy to me. I, like, Jamar chase was going in the fifth, I think his rookie year uh, there's there's again, in my opinion, not reason to think that Harrison is as good as, as chase. And th- there's also not reason to, to assume anyway, at this point that uh, I mean, even if it's Kyler Murray that he's catching passes from, do you want to, compare that to joe burrow you know it's it's uh it's it's really aggressive and i think it's it's being it's a it's an adp market informed by people who honestly do not watch much football and are mainly in the scene for you know the fantasy investment reasons which uh fair enough those those people are of course welcome in the scene but i don't think you want to look to them to make your player rankings
1: yeah, I think that that's a really um, important distinction. You you got to see what what these players are actually bringing to the table, and and you know team context um, certainly uh, helps add to that as well. Um, before we we get into more of the the nitty gritty here, is we're going to get through some more of these prospects that maybe you haven't heard as much about. Uh, we got a quick message from our friends over at Blue Wire.
0: and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 seven customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: All right, let's start with University of Texas. Let's look at one Xavier worthy and Adonai Mitchell Known to some as Ad Mitchell, uh, I'll always view Ad Mitchell as a dog. But hey, had a great last season uh, at Texas after transferring over there. Texas native, of course. Um, these two guys, I, I think, are, are an interesting, you know, case study. You have two guys that that are going to be drafted in the top 100, uh, maybe even top 50, uh, between these two guys that, that played within the same receiving core that this past year. Um, after taking a look at, at both of these guys, what, what is sort of your, your early estimation on on which is the better pick right now, and and uh, you know what what are they bringing to the table individually?
2: Well, it's not an easy call, uh, in part because they're very different. They do different things. Uh, they they both fit the uh, the theme of big play, wide out, you know, downfield, uh, boundary, speed, things like that. But they do it in very different ways. Uh, if only because their builds are so different. I mean, Mitchell he might only be 63 200 or something like that but he's listed at 64 he might be 64 uh he he definitely at his build is a more physical presence than worthy who's probably going to be like 6 foot 170 or 6'1", 175 something like that and um it's not just that Mitchell has the bigger frame it's that worthy really does lack like an in traffic skill set so uh, that's that's sort of the first concern you have about a smaller receiver is like is he going to be able to make catches that are somewhat contested and with worthy the build makes you worry and then the, the the tape and the the stats uh sort of reinforce that concern and with that i think you see worthy kind of uh, have certain tasks walled off from him like there's certain things that teams just won't trust him with and specifically people are uh, i guess this was more a year ago but it, uh, some some Big 12 observers in particular, probably still remember it freshly. Uh, Xavier worthy had three or four games in 2022 that were just total train wrecks where Quinn Ewers would throw the, There There's the Oklahoma state one where he had 17 targets or something. And he caught like six uh, there, there, there were drops in there. There are some plays that Xavier Worthy definitely dropped, but uh, a, he was drawing a huge target share. And in 2023, he drew a much bigger target share than Mitchell too. And B, Especially in the 2022 instances, uh, Ewers was just playing like trash. I'm sorry, like it's a, it's acceptable. It's a freshman quarterback. That's it's not easy. It's not even fair to expect them to be good. But so many of these passes uh, that were falling flat and really dragged down both the catch rate and the yards per target for Worthy in 2022, they were just Ewers being completely off rhythm and and just ruining an entire drives basically. Um, so. What we saw with that, I think, can be a mixed bag. With with you know two valid conclusions: one that again, Worthy is not very good at in traffic stuff; he is liable to drop passes. Um, but also, B, he was having such a difficult time working with Ewers that uh, Worthy was also dropping passes that he doesn't normally drop. Like he, you could see it was it was kind of like Chris Olave with uh, Derek Carr last year. You know, it's like Olave doesn't really drop passes; he started dropping passes with Carr because he was just so off rhythm with him that it's like this finely tuned sense of timing of of, of you know this number of footsteps in this amount of time your, your your hands positioned at a certain place at all of these points relative to your your legs and your feet and all of the rhythm getting just ripped you know yanked in different directions by the by the quarterback being completely out of sync with the receiver that can that can definitely screw things up um, so uh,
1: I think I think you can say th- there's like a you- bit of context too, to to add to to especially worthy's sophomore season re- that really fits nicely with, with what you're talking about, where I think t- some reports came out last spring that Worthy was playing with, with a hand injury for for like the oh. second half of, of the 2022 season. So I think that 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 kind of explains uh, some of the rougher efficiency uh, numbers that that you can look at. Uh, in that in that 2022 sample, because yeah, catching just just over 50 percent of his targets at six and a half yards per target, like that's not who he is, and and obviously he proved that the other years that that he was at Texas. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy how good his his freshman season was, and that was bef- right. before yours even got there. He worked uh, with, better with, with the- that quarterback.
2: Like he he was above team baseline pretty easily on a 30 percent target share as an 18 year old true freshman. Like even if he has limitations he clearly has a uh, uncommon strengths too. There's, there's, there's very few players who have accomplished that 30% target share and still uh, e- easily going above team baseline. Uh, like you said, it fell off with viewers, but there's a couple, there's a crucial thing to keep in mind. And this, this matters relative to Mitchell too. worthy is dropping all these passes. Yes, but he's doing it on in 2022, 28.9% target share in 2023. He was still a little bit below baseline, which, which might, it's a good reason to believe that worthy was still a little overexposed, but still 25.5% target share. So this speaks to the efficiency with the the frequency with which he's like getting open, right? He's presenting these targets. He's, he's being determined at this, this percentage of time by the quarterback to be the most viable target on a given play, even with Mitchell being out there in 2023 and all those games. So in the same season that they, in the 2023 season where they both played in the same offense, Worthy drew 25.5% of the Texas targets at age 20 and a half while Mitchell Mitchell drew 19.4% of the targets at uh, about uh, three or four months older than worthy. So um, there are limitations with worthy. I think it's true to say that he was overexposed on a 25, 26, 30% target share. But in the NFL, if he's on a team where he's only getting, you know, 18, 20% of the targets instead then you're, you're removing, in effect, you're removing those plays that turn into you know ugly drops, contested catches that he doesn't thrive at. And instead, you're putting that usage somewhere else in the offense, which leaves the defense more likely to, to, to lose him, lose worthy on those remaining, uh, whatever, 17, 20% or whatever it is. And in that role, I think he can thrive. He'll always be a little bit drop prone. But if he's, if he's going to run a 4-3 flat, and it looks like he could, uh, if he, he could even run better for all I know, then this is a guy that I want on an NFL. If I'm running a three wide offense, I want this guy on the field uh, to keep the safeties back if nothing else. And I think otherwise he's given us reason to believe that he can handle something like 17 to 20% target share in the NFL and give average or better returns. While at all times that deep speed is a, is a useful safety decoy that helps out basically everybody else on offense.
1: And I think also, you know, if, if the density checks out a little bit better than, you know, what, what was listed at, at Texas, you know, maybe it was a generous uh, six foot one listing. If he gets to the combine and maybe he's like five eleven and five eighths or something, you know, that, yeah, it, it makes him a little bit less of, of like a string bean out there. Although, you know, one seventy, not everyone can tank Dell it, you know, like that. Conventionally, one eighty or so is is kind of what you're what you're looking for. Yeah, he
2: uh, played every game plays. that he was at Texas. I mean, he didn't take too many hits or anything. Uh, so you know, knock on wood. uh I think I think Worthy's troubles with catching over the middle and in traffic are just sort of uh, it's due to just like ball skills. Basically, I don't think he he has great ball skills. You'd probably give his ball skills like a forty grade out of eighty or something. But if if his speed is eighty, if his route running is like seventy um you know you you can't uh, what's that saying let let the perfect let perfect be the enemy of good or whatever it's like right this guy can give you 700 quality snaps you know if if you have a use for that consider him but if if you are more concerned with like uh optics and anecdotal stuff like oh but he dropped a pass one time where i really wanted a first down like okay well keep keep this person away from budgeting processes because they don't (laughs) have the right uh, they don't have the right outlook on it. Uh, anyway, back to Mitchell. I, I You see a lot of first round hype for him. And generally, I think the the, the fantasy scene, the draft uh, media scene is ranking him ahead of worthy. Um, I'll, I'll say fair enough on ranking him ahead of worthy. I, I can't fault someone for having a problem with Worthy's drops or whatever. I can get over it, but I, I don't expect everybody to with Mitchell, though. You're seeing some fan fiction already. You're seeing people write about how he's like CeeDee Lamb and stuff like that's just ridiculous. Oh, CeeDee yeah. Lamb, <laughs> Lamb was stealing targets from Marquise Brown, you know, his freshman year. C.D. Lamb was doing that. Uh, C.D. Lamb completely took over the Oklahoma program after Marquise Brown left, and C.D. Lamb became a sophomore. um Adenai Mitchell's, uh he's a fourth year player, who um, or sorry, third year player, and he had a less than twenty percent target share against. A receiver that everyone's projecting in the fourth round you know it's like you you have to it, the the fantasy scene the the nfl media scene they at the very least need to get a lot higher on worthy if they want to make these uh mitchell in the first round takes seem lucid in my opinion because it, it it seems to me like it's it's a lot of um hoping like that just hey he's six four he runs a four or three five or something maybe he'll be randy moss it was like yeah well then a lot of guys might be randy moss
1: right no that, that's that's definitely true and you know i wish we just had a little bit more of like a this year was obviously good and for, for him and he wasn't going to get that type of usage at georgia um but you know we we just we don't have much of like a sample from from his uh sophomore season in 2022 and you know it was kind of mixing and matching in uh his true freshman year but you know he always you know rose to the occasion when when called upon yeah. i think he had a, a touchdown catch and every single one of his uh, college football playoff games, all five of them pretty good. Um, He looked like
2: he was going to have a decent second year at Georgia, but he had the high ankle sprain. That's right. Um, But yeah, basically the the thing with Mitchell to me is he he falls into that category of, um, you know, he's boundary receiver, ideally downfield, you know, a lot of downfield sideline stuff. And as far as that category goes, as far as the traits he's believed to have, as far as the production that he has, I don't see what makes him as good of a prospect as someone like Terrace Marshall or somebody like that. So um, round two or three pick for me for Mitchell. Uh, I don't see the round one case all that much, honestly.
1: I'm not, I'm not sure I do either. I don't, I don't know if I ever really saw that. I'm a little bit surprised at, at how high the, the community seems to be on him. Like, I definitely think he's solid to very good. You know, I think he's definitely worthy of, uh, to, for lack of a better word, uh, like, you know, a, a round two pick at the very least, but um, you know, I don't think he's absurd at at, at any one thing. So,
2: yeah, oh, dude, you were so right to uh, specifically raise the Meikle Hardman comp for worthy, though, because it's it's exactly the same thing where people are just like getting so mad at him for, for making mistakes that really aren't his fault and certainly don't overrule the, the good things that he's done but uh, people people just willing to you know throw throw out all the results like I'd rather yeah just let me replace 30 percent of my targets I'd rather do that than watch that guy drop three passes on 120 targets again uh, it's the yeah, same exact thing
1: real podheads will remember that what it was a 2019 or 2020 dra- draft when it, whenever micole was I think it was 19 uh Nicole Arden was was coming out into the into the class and yeah everyone was enamored with Riley Ridley remember him you know like, yeah no, I'll give Mitchell not. this
2: much he's way better than Ridley yeah Ridley yes. Ridley was a uh, I don't know what that was about <laughs> Calvin Ridley I guess
1: but but uh interestingly you know like it, it there there are some parallels there with with uh yeah. you know two guys being drafted from the same receiver class one of them clearly has a, a trump card with, with his speed the other one maybe a little bit more conventional but I, I think people can Occasionally, get a little bit too wrapped up in that, and I think I think you you raise a, another really good point when it comes to you know where is the usage going in that Texas offense, the Texas offense that you know made it all the way to the to the college football playoff. Like it it, it was going more often than not uh, to worthy. Um, let's uh, let, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, a prospect that seems to have been getting a decent amount of buzz uh, on Twitter this week. It seems like everyone is seemingly discovering, uh, this guy is Javon Baker uh, out of central Florida or UCF. Sorry. Uh, I know that UCF people hate central Florida uh, as the, as the moniker, um, your thoughts on on him. He's a guy that, you know, came over from Alabama did well, um, during, during his time at UCF, of course, uh, 12 and a half yards per target, uh, this past year on a 25% target share.
2: Yeah, he seems interesting enough. Uh, I don't share the more optimistic takes on him. I've seen some people get pretty hyped on him. And uh, I mean, good for them. If they're right, I just don't see it. I, I think this UCF offense is kind of tough to evaluate. It's a, it's a very different era than what it used to be. But, uh, you know, we, we've seen a number of really productive receivers go through UCF. And uh, maybe, maybe I'm just unfairly applying a, a skepticism to Baker because, uh, being snake bit by, uh, Traquan Smith, but at the very least, you know, we got a guy like Traquan Smith who was point blank, like way better at UCF or in my opinion, he was way better at UCF than Baker was. And Baker, um, he was there, uh, at, at UCF after two years, like you said, at Alabama and in 2022, he was over the age of 20 and a half going into that year. So that, that's a, that's an age that a lot of players are in their fourth year already, And, um, or sorry, uh, yes, some players are in their fourth year. It's, it's a third year, of course. And it's in any case, the point in a receiver's development that you want to see them decisively show the ability to, uh, give above average efficiency returns with, uh, you know, big, big usage shares, uh, as a, as a receiver. In other words, you want to see them compel the passing game to give them targets. And you want to see them excel with those targets at that point, that third year age. And, um, he was okay he he got about twenty two point four percent of the targets at UCF, but uh, he he was probably, in my opinion, he was outdone by that uh, Ryan O'Keefe or whatever that had to retire at Boston College this year. Yeah, uh, he was a different player that, that was like the slot, you know, underneath guy uh, was O'Keefe, whereas Baker was stuck on the boundary with you know, uh, to be fair, the the more difficult targets. But in twenty twenty two, UCF completed sixty four point five percent of their targets at seven and a half yards per target. Uh, Baker cleared the yards per target by 0.4 yards. Uh, that's something, but to me that's kind of within sort of uh, the margin of error. You might call it like it's, it's not, it doesn't move the needle for me. What does move the needle is that Baker's catch rate at 55.5% was uh, nine full points below the team baseline of 64.5. So that, that overrules the uh, 0.4 su- surplus in the yards per target, in my opinion. And that was on uh, a 22.4% target share. So, um, if baker were to test really well at the combine i'd be able to to kind of um rationalize a box score like this a little more easily because i could say like well maybe the tools can be developed further and and you know this this otherwise seemingly lacking skill set element might be either you know overruled or 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 corrected more easily than the player who's whatever smaller and slower but generally guys with pros profiles like this end up in the sixth round and the fifth round the sixth round and uh the other as far as even the 2023 season um you know that that oklahoma game one of his 80 yard touchdown in that game was literally just a blown coverage like the corner just let him go and there was no mm-hmm. safety on the field apparently so uh that was that was a play where it's like john you or i literally might have scored a touchdown on that play like because well you especially you because you, you'd only have to go about like uh, whatever, fifty yards or something, and like you'd have a twenty-yard head start on everybody else. I I might need the it. I might need like the fifty-yard head start, but uh, it would have been close. It would have been a harrowing because I would I would have serpentined, too. Um, I would have made it tough on them. Um, yeah. So <laughs> where's it uh, going? Anyway, that was one of his eighty. That was an eighty-yard touchdown. You know, it's it's plays like that happen in that UCF offense, especially because they're kind of um, they're doing they, They've recently done kind of like a low tempo or moderate tempo Bryles offense. Whereas like the the Baylor offenses, uh, you know, the Bryce Petty, Seth Russell days or whatever, they'd go up tempo and they'd be run heavy, but they'd still throw it 35 times because they'd be running like 76 plays a game while running it, you know, 45 times or whatever Uh, this UCF offense. They, they go at 68 plays a game and they still have the same run pass split and crucially too, they have extremely wide splits at where their receivers line up. So what Baker's role in that offense was, was they put them as wide as they could. Uh, which is to say, get them as far away from safety help as possible. And then they run often and run well, and they would get the defense to crash downward. And then they'd go to Baker when the, the defense was thin deep. And he makes, he makes some contested sideline catches. He make totally good plays from time to time. It's just that the kind of plays that he, Javon Baker made at UCF are to me, the kind of plays that a prospect needs to make just to be like bare minimum practice squad conversation. And uh, yeah, I, I am, I am inclined to fade him if the price is presumed to be anywhere in like day two, I don't think he's going to make it.
1: So uh, I guess like one thing to, uh, you know, point out when, when it comes to maybe some of the efficiency concerns, because I, I think they're, they're legitimate, but I will say that John, Re- John Reese Plumlee, not a great quarterback. Um, oh, of know, course. And, and if Baker is, is, you know, the guy running the most high difficulty or, you know, high difficulty target, uh, type of routes, then I, I think it the, the catch rate can be a, a little bit more fr- forgivable. But but even still, I, I think he has some some work to be done uh, in Indianapolis in order to to kind of be you know up to up to the the par that I think some people are, are putting out there f- for him. Because yeah, yeah, there there's some warts to to the profile, but I, I think again, it is John Reese Plumley is a guy who when he was at Ole Miss, like they didn't let him throw. He was the quarterback. Right. And they didn't let him throw, you know, so um, it, it took took him a while for for him to get going in, in the Gus Malzahn offense. And then, you know, straight comment here for, for next year for any of the college football heads out there. K.J. Jefferson, the former Arkansas quarterback in the uh, in the Gus system. That might be pretty, pretty fun. So keep an eye there. Um, Anything else on, on Baker before we move on?
2: Uh, Yeah, he's uh, like I said, he's he's kind of projecting as like a fifth rounder to me.
1: OK. All right. Let's go on over uh, to. Let's do Ricky Pearsall. I know, I know that you've done a bit of homework um, on him. We'll, we'll talk about uh, Pearsall and, and Malachi Corley uh, here in in this particular segment. So uh, when it comes to Pearsall, we, we, we mentioned him earlier on in the offseason. But now that we've had a little bit more time to to, to get a look at things, Uh, Your your thoughts on on him, you know, his his last year at Florida was pretty strong in in a year that was tough. Otherwise for for Florida, 10.7 yards per target, the team baseline uh, being eight yards per pass attempt. And he did that on on a 23 percent target share.
2: Yeah, so Pearsall is a a little bit strange in that uh, he's old for a receiver prospect, like he'll turn 24 in uh, week one basically of this year. So when you're 24 this year, when you're 23 as uh you know he was at Florida in 2023, you need to play really well. There's there's very specifically like no excuses left for you at that point. Like even even Kadarius Tony put up huge numbers at Florida at that point in his career, you know, so um his fourth year I mean to say. Uh so it's it's uh it's great that Pearsall was able to produce 10 point seven yards per target and catch uh it like 73% of his targets this year, but you do need to put up those, those kinds of cartoonish cartoonishly good efficiency numbers at that age. Uh, however, he did it. He succeeded in doing it. So um, it, it doesn't earn him as much benefit of the doubt as uh, you know, some of these other guys, Like some uh, other guys in this class are putting up numbers like these at age 20 and a half and 21, you know, let alone 22 or 23. So uh, Pearsall has, sort of um, a narrower path he, he he's going to be held to a stricter standard than some of these younger guys but every once in a while you do get a prospect like that where it's like y- you know they have a narrow path you know they aren't going to get a benefit of the doubt for this or that but it turns out they just they do come through and in, in the one area of you of your concern and uh i think pierce might be one of those guys even if he's never even if he's never a wide receiver one or two i think it's safe to say uh this is this is not going to be like a a Blake Prole situation or something like this, this is not, this is not some guy who's just kind of hanging around and becomes so good at route running. Cause he's 24 or whatever that he, that he just, uh, you know, knows it so much more than all the players who are trying to defend him or whatever. Uh, Pearsall at the very least, I think it's safe to say has really good uh, route running and the hands the body control are, are pretty crazy. I mean, yes. I, I think that, that his one handed catch was in, I don't know, not quite as crazy as the Odo Beckham one, I guess, but it was it's like the second craziest one because it was like in more traffic. Yeah, I think it was catch of the well, year. Well, it was a bear. It was um. He, usually the one handed catches that you see are just kind of guys like uh, letting their hand soften the momentum of the ball and they sort of just carry it out of the air, you know, like that Pierce catch. He palmed it from the top while, you know, going probably like 19 miles per hour into the teeth of the defense. So uh that's one of those things where it's like you almost need myth busters or something to clarify just what the hell happened there it uh, <laughs> didn't look possible it still doesn't no matter how what angle you look at it from and when a guy makes catches like that it starts to help you know give specifics to the to the to the picture of or you know the questions of like how did he do 10 and 10.7 uh, yards per target how did he catch 73 percent of his targets uh, be, being able to make catches like that helps explain it. You're not, is, uh, you're not forced to suggest or suspect that his age is the reason why, in other words, like some old prospects, it's like their numbers go through the roof all of a sudden when they're old, you go, Oh, it's because they're old. Pierce saw a catch rate like that yards per target, like that you can, you can have the suspicion instead that, Oh, it's because he can make catches like that. And because he's, he's a really good route runner. And one thing about Pierce all too, that's crucial to keep in mind. He still wasn't exactly young at the time, but he did get on the field back in 2021 for Arizona state. And at that point in time, he uh, let's see, he would have been 21. He would have turned 21 uh, right about uh, week, two or three of the college season. If I'm doing the math there, right? Uh, Yes. So uh, that's still a point in time where you want to see a guy look like an NFL receiver like that, that year at Arizona state, it was a point where uh, Ricky Pearsall needed to step up. And you might look at his box score and think he didn't. You might look at his 580 yards and four touchdowns and think, "Oh, that's not very good." However, it actually was pretty good. I mean, Arizona State did not throw very much that year. Uh, their quarterback Jaden Daniels uh, did not do very well as a passer, so they only threw 24 times a game. Pearsall's 580 yards uh, aren't great, but on a team that threw for 25, 30, it's not so bad. And he had a third of their touchdowns, and he had uh, was this like a, a fourth of their catches. So. Um his production at Florida I'm sure it will draw a lot of scrutiny because of his age but he doesn't have the age advantage explanation for his Arizona state season that one year or at least not quite as much as his Florida season so um again not as much benefit of the doubt as some of these other guys but for me Pearsall is a round 2 or 3 type I think he would be really dangerous especially on the Texans cuz uh they they sort of are at that sweet spot where they they don't really need a star receiver they don't need uh, to suspend a first or a second round pick but they could really use a third guy you know from whatever way you look at it you know if tank dell could use some injury insurance whatever or some, somebody somebody who's usually third but can step up and be your second It's like pierce all fits that definition to me and uh, the way cj stroud does so much improvising and kind of like broken play um, you know feeling out openings in the defense that all seems like Pearsall's alley to me so um, I, I, that specific team match makes a lot of sense to me
1: yeah I, I really like that call because you know how many times th- this year would we try to make some sense you know either before Tank Dell broke out or you know after he went down for the season it's like okay what if I don't want to pay up for Nico Collins oh dear god like do Robert I have Woods. to do I have to do Robert Woods do I have to do Noah Brown you're like yeah they, they could certainly stand to upgrade uh, their wide receiver three spot and and all should be um, available in that range. And I think in that type of role, um, he, he definitely could, could, you know, thrive and you know, just being attached to CJ Stroud, probably not going to be a bad thing for, for any of these guys um, in, in this upcoming class. Uh, moving on to to Malachi Corley. Um, I, I think that he's someone that, that the, the calling card seems to be the, the yards after the catch ability deep, uh, do you think that there's too much like of the the short yardage uh receptions and and just being able to beast out over you know conference USA level secondary guys where it's like we we'd like to see a little bit more of the, the downfield element to his game?
2: Yeah, it's tough in my opinion to figure out Corley. Uh he's he's um he's got good numbers, especially the last two years. And uh, like you said, the yards after the catch ability that's there and with his frame you, you can see where it comes from i mean he's, he's densely built kind of looks uh listed at five eleven, two ten. 210 that's that's a running back build so uh it, it 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 speaks uh well to like his his uh projection for for breaking tackles in the nfl yards after catching the nfl the part that i don't know what to call it really is uh you know the, the route running that kind of stuff uh we have seen western Kentucky receivers get to the NFL and do nothing and uh you know it's it's not going to last forever eventually western Kentucky is going to have their good NFL receiver but you know Taewon Taylor was a better player there he didn't really amount to anything uh Jareth Stearns was the one who put up really crazy numbers in 2021 with Bailey Zappi oh man and uh yeah yeah, Malachi Corley was on that team more in the background and then he sort of You know, took over the scene in 2022 where uh his his numbers both efficiency and volume wise got a lot better so uh that's that's one of those guys i'd like to see him test really well uh believe it or not there's probably a thin line between a debo samuel and a lavisca chenault and it's not all just as simple as the athletic testing either there's there's more to it than just that but um there's there's a there's a certain amount of projection i feel like with corley that you got to do and you got to sort of accept or, or, or you know accept that on faith that he can clear all these route running hurdles that the nfl presents or just sort of um you know bet on the tools bet on bet on the unique running after the catch ability and just hope that that part develops even if it's not there but uh in a, in a class this strong it might be difficult for a guy like corley to break the top like 45 or so even though there's uh, a lot of other drafts where he'd be easy to do that make to make that projection for him he could still do it in this one too uh it's just it's a lot tougher in this group i don't for instance rank corley ahead of Pearsall at the moment to me they're kind of like the same tier but um it it could come down to also like what you're actually looking for like corley of course uh the yards after catches is is a distinction for him of course uh but also he uh, has better age adjusted production than Pierce for instance. So sure. uh, If a team is looking for yards after the catch, if they, they, even if they accept, even if they accept as a given that Corley is more raw in the meantime or something, some teams are looking for developmental guys. Some, some teams aren't looking for someone to play 700 snaps this year. So um, Corley might take a little bit longer to kind of like get his shot than some of these other guys, but this could change that, 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 that could turn out very wrong if he gets drafted high enough to the right team. If, you know, if Shanahan, uh, if, if the 49ers trade, Ayuk and Shanahan drafts Corley. Are you going to be worried about him there? You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, one of those guys who the landing spot could be reassuring in a way. Like if, if we see the setup already, this is the yards after the catch offense, you go, okay, well, Corley can do that. We know that much.
1: True. It, and it, it's funny that you bring up San Francisco, like it Debo specifically, I love Debo Samuel. Everyone loves Debo Samuel. I kind of hate what he's done to everyone's brains when it comes to draft prospect analysis because everyone is just thirsting for the next Debo, and it's like the, there's a reason why he's like kind of one of one, you know?
2: Yeah every every receiver now uh, who who does anything after the catch is a Debo comp until they burn out receiver, then they become a Cordell Patterson comp.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that that's the flow chart. It, it's been established, but um, you know, everyone out there. Keep keep searching uh for, for that next Debo. But no, I, I like Corley enough, but um I, I think that we gotta we gotta pump the brakes a little bit if if we want to like compare him to, to Debo Samuel. Um let's see here. I want to hit next on, on the the undercard of the Washington receivers. And I know you've taken a, a decent look at the at this Washington offense that this year. So obviously we we've we know what we know about Rome at, at this stage, but Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk. Um, I, I know that those are two guys that, that have kind of caught your eye a little bit, and, and both performed extremely well on, on what was a great offense uh, th- this past year. So, um, your, your thoughts on, on what these guys uh, have have in in their toolbox and, and what they might be able to put on uh, on display in Indianapolis?
2: Well, I think they kind of have. Um, there's a lot of like blank space in their prospect profile right now, both mcmillan and polk because they both demonstrated a certain amount but there's there's little um hiccups in their profiles the thing with mcmillan is he was hurt for a bunch of 2023 and it seemed like polk sort of took his place it felt that way i don't know if it actually was the case and sometimes it's hard to come back from an injury like that i mean even if uh, even if mcmillan was playing it doesn't mean that he's hundred percent and if if one of your guys is 90% and he's really good. And one of your guys is almost as good, but a hundred percent, sometimes you just go with the one who's a hundred percent, especially if he's, especially if he's been playing the last six weeks and you're rolling on offense and you don't want to screw with things. And sometimes that stuff happens even without it being um, a, a definite reflection on the players in question. But uh, McMillan to me, I think looks underrated uh, not to, not to push against any Polk optimism, but uh, McMillan, almost matched the per game production of Roma Odunze in 2022. There there was still there was still, you know, pretty s- clear evidence that Odunze was the better player, like the real wide receiver one, while McMillan was left with more you know flanker, slot type tasks. But he was very good at that. And in 2021, before Odunze had emerged, McMillan was actually their lead receiver as a sophomore at at a just under 20 years old. So he did he didn't dominate in 2021. McMillan didn't, but he did fine, and uh, you know, he, he in 2022, in light of the emergence of a McMillan was put into a more proper role of like wide receiver, too, you know, flanker slot kind of things. And at 20.75 or so, uh, I'm, I'm kind of rounding uh sloppily, he drew 21.8 percent of uh, the, the receptions on the team, and uh, that's at share of the receptions at 21% flat share of the targets, 22.8% share of the receiving yardage. So he drew just over a fifth of Washington's targets at 2022 at that age that I mentioned, you know, that 20 and a half age, you want to see them really put it all together by that point. And McMillan did exactly that to, to draw about a fifth of the target share to give above baseline returns, both for receptions and receiving yardage and receiving touchdowns. That's, that's pretty tangibly good stuff to me like that's uh that that's the kind of season that will earn you the benefit of the doubt to me up to a certain point so i have no idea what mcmillan's testing numbers are supposed to be but if they're just decent or better i think he pretty easily uh justifies himself as like a fourth round pick and maybe more uh polk i think has a little bit more to prove like he he did finish better at washington like polk's the one who finished hot in 2023 uh in light of mcmillan's earlier in the season injury But uh, Polk was clearly in the backseat in 2022, and he's not uh that much younger either. Like they they list him as a year under whatever he actually is. He's like a fourth year player. Uh, so Polk Polk is interesting. I I get the sense that um, I don't know. He's like a little skinnier, a little less rugged than McMillan. McMillan might have a little bit more of like a horizontal application. He might be better on like uh they call jet sweeps and stuff like that. I don't know but uh mcmillan has not gotten any acknowledgement hardly that i've seen and i i just don't know i think it's as plain as if he hadn't gotten hurt this year people would be talking about him as like a second or third round pick
1: yeah and you know what washington's re- receiving core would, would maybe less so be, be talked about as like you know really good but you know as rome and and a couple of other guys who, who were did wells you know like it McMillan's a guy who had a thousand yards, uh, in 2022 and, yeah. and nine touchdowns and had it, like you said, on, on 121 targets, like that's Polk really had half,
2: almost half as many catches for Polk in 2022 compared to McMillan. You know, it's, that's, uh, I, that's I'm, I'm ranking McMillan ahead despite Polk, uh, finishing a little better.
1: There we go. Yeah. Because yeah, the, the peak season for, for McMillan in an offense that wasn't as good as this past year's offense. Like I, I think that that's where that's what you need to, to kind of fixate on a little bit more in in mcmillan's case because like you said uh dinged up for for a good chunk of this year and you know that we actually do have uh snap counts for these guys on the okay. road to wire and, and there weren't a, a ton of instances where he was going full boat you know there, there was a lot of after he returned a lot of between 30 and and 40 snaps in a game
2: yeah that makes sense um it looks like uh, McMillan is about five months older than Polk so yeah that's that's not enough of an age difference to excuse the 2022 season in my opinion that, that I think uh, while Polk might have his own good case to be I don't know he, he could be an NFL starter I guess uh, I I need him to test well to, to, to get into that point because I, I in the meantime I view him as a like a tier below McMillan production wise
1: I do as well um, let's get to a couple more guys who are in that late first round discussion. I know, I know we talked about Troy Franklin a decent bit last week, I believe. but um, I want to talk a little bit further about Roman Wilson and, and Lad McConkey. Those are two of my favorites uh, in in this class and I've seen them be mocked, you know inside the, the top 40 or so. but um, starting with, with uh, Roman Wilson, um, you know, what, what are we looking at here? And, and is there, I, I think that he's one of those guys that, that could really, um, put a stamp on, on his stock at, at, with the combine. I'm pretty sure that, that he might really, you know, have like top five, uh, long speed in this class potentially.
2: Oh, nice. Do you have not to put, uh, not to put you too much on the spot. Did you have a 40 range in mind for Wilson? I, I think, you know, we're, we're talking four, four flatter, or, or maybe even a little bit lower. Okay. So he's a little tough for me. I uh, really like the 2023 production, you know, catching half of a team's touchdown uh, count is, is always good to see. And uh, you know, he's, he's, he looks good enough, I guess. Uh, I do think it was, it must've been him who was making Witherspoon look bad in that uh, one game. I know that Michigan didn't throw for anything, but uh, he, he's, whoever it was, was getting behind Witherspoon and the ball was just kind of not getting there. But uh, it does discourage me a little bit. It, it it discourages me a lot, actually, that in 2022, a guy like Ronnie Bell could draw so much more of the usage than Wilson. Ronnie Bell is on an NFL roster. He may well end up playing meaningful snaps in the NFL, but if a guy like Ronnie Bell is outproducing you to that extent, then I really do need Wilson to test well at the combine because uh, it, it seems safe to say that it, as of 2022, when Roman Wilson would have been 21, I think. Uh, yeah, he would have been 21, an age where, again, there's not really excuses for the vast majority of receiver prospects at that point. His skill development was at least a couple of tiers behind a guy like Ronnie Bell's. So, uh, for me, as much as you're right that there's there is a there is a building movement, it seems like for for uh, for Wilson to push for like the top uh, whatever 50 picks or something. <laughs> I probably won't be among those advocating it. I think uh, this is this is a very strong receiver class, and at the very least, I'd need a, a weaker one to put him quite that high. But I could see Wilson still being a guy who who is suited uh, to you know seven hundred plus snaps in the NFL and something something in the four three range would help, you know, especially as far as this downfield application goes, something in the four three range would really give you know solid basis to think that he can he can translate to the nfl at least in that capacity
1: i i think that you know there there's almost like a, a michigan like mccarthy analog but with wilson uh as it comes to just like i like the traits a lot that the production even though like you, if you look closely at it, it it's gonna show you some good things that i think if you just start are looking at like the the pure volume stuff like you're you're not going to be like, wow, this this guy was absolutely lighting it up because because frankly he wasn't. But on, on like the per target basis, I thought that Wilson was great this year. I think he plays with a lot of strength and, and toughness. You know, that's anecdotal, of course, but you know, film's part uh, of the equation here. Um, you know, I, I think that it's good to point out that Ronnie Bell was the guy for for Michigan uh, this past year. I will say that uh, I used Ronnie Bell in my Week 18 DFS lineup. He scored a touchdown, um, but. <laughs> um but no Wilson definitely like just has my attention like I'm I'm not trying to like overstate um how good he is exactly but I think you know when the general viewpoint on on the Michigan offense is just McCarthy not doing a ton and it it was all running the ball like I think Wilson can kind of get forgotten about a little bit on the periphery I think in today's world we no stone kind of gets left unturned as far as finding these prospects and everything. But I think Rowan Wilson, as it stands going into next week is, is a guy that I'm going to be watching like very, very closely um, as for how he tests uh, at the combine.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, it seems like he's closer to day two than day three at this point. Um, I could be on board with that if he tests a certain way, but yeah, the, the production is not really easily doing it for me so i I'd, I'd, I'd need like a little something else with which to project you know a way to bridge the gap
1: well here's hoping that 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 he provides uh w- what you need there um can we talk a little lad a little lad McConkie?
2: oh yeah uh so i think McConkie's going to be a first rounder or a top 40 pick i think uh he's he's a really easy evaluation to me because his, his numbers are really clean at Georgia. And the one concern you would raise the, the, the target share is something pretty easily explained by Brock Bowers. And uh, sometimes, especially when it seems as dominant as Georgia, it's like they don't need to go back to certain wells as much. Like they can kind of use McConkie as the ace in the hole. And that suits them. It's like, you don't need to play it every time as long as you just win every time. And uh, they, they, they had a system that was clearly working. So, uh Bowers, even if he was the wide receiver one, McConkie was still the you know flanker slot type. And I think McConkie can probably line up anywhere. I think even if you're asking him to do like X stuff, it's like maybe he won't have the vertical presence that you traditionally would want from a receiver running that route. But as far as escaping the jams at the line, as far as getting cre- clean releases, uh McConkie looks like he might be the fastest off the line in this receiver class. Like he's really fast off the line. And you want to talk about like pressing the coverage getting, getting corners into their back pedals quickly. Like Makaki does that. Like he, I bet there if if, some, if there's some way to track it, that you can probably find tape of him, like making corners turn their feet to run like what a, uh, some number of seconds into some uh, snap that it's like, Makaki's got to be way up there. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, not a wide receiver one type you know, it doesn't really have the build doesn't seem to have uh doesn't have a, like a rim game that I recall seeing, but a I'm not so convinced he can't do it. You know, it's like he, I, I think it's more that he wasn't asked to do it. uh, And, and B I think the reason that he might not have been asked to do it that much, because it's just easy for him to get open horizontally uh, all over the place. He doesn't really need to get up. Uh, he doesn't really need to end up in jump ball scenarios. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe he'd be bad at it if he needed to, but uh, McConkey to me just looks like an easy, like, I don't know, uh, 100 catch 1200 yard kind of receiver in the NFL, not this year, but I think he'll get there pretty quickly.
1: I do too. Big fan of his. Um, I think it's crazy. His career arc, um, you know, all the way, you know, this past year, some injuries kind of hampered the, the overall production, but, um, you know, I thought in 2022, you know, you turn on the, uh, national championship film against TCU and like there, there's just no one around him a lot of the time when when, uh, when he's scoring touchdowns this is in the national championship game you know so I mean he he's pretty unbelievable with, with the quicks um in, in the hands so I mean he, he's got a lot uh, to like I'm just hoping that the medicals all check out clean because again you know when you're dinged up that last year um, I think he had some knee and maybe some back stuff um, if that comes back okay, then you know I'm, I'm thinking that that he's someone that that goes top 35. Like I, I don't think he falls uh, too late into the Friday portion uh, of the draft. And I think if he does as well as we're expecting in Indy, then yeah, you know, this this looks like someone that could go 25th.
2: Yeah, I think uh, if any team wants, uh, you know, t- somebody give them above average efficiency returns on something like 700, 750 snaps McConkey pretty clearly gives them that. And sometimes teams make picks, you know, surrendering upside for the sake of immediate utility, uh, either because they're just in a window where they're trying to compete now, or because they're, they're worried that this player in question won't develop until they're at the end of their contract or whatever. So, uh, not to say that there's no long-term upside with McConkie, but a team looking to win now, I think uh, will identify him as a way to do it and be doing it correctly. Do you think Buffalo
1: would make sense at 28?
2: Um, not really. If they're going to, if they're going to keep using him the way they use Gabe Davis, it's uh, the, the to me, the problem is not Gabe Davis. It's the way they were using him as just a go route guy. It was his job was to pull safeties back as a player who runs a four, five, four and, uh, McConkie is better at that than Davis. Cause he's, I think going to run like a four, three, five or a four, four flat or something. But, uh, I think you want to have McConkie closer to the quarterback basically. And, uh, if, if Diggs and Davis are gone, then I could see it. I could, I could see, uh, McConkie having enough room to function in the intermediate if Diggs were gone, but, uh, the way the Buffalo offense was structured and not that this makes any sense, but if they stick with it, the way it's structured is that they sort of just, um, they, they like overfeed digs in the intermediates and uh, the the underneath if it's there and they expect Gabe Davis to sort of just buy cover for him and pull the safeties away while that goes on. And w- when Diggs is rolling, it always works fine and they wouldn't need Davis to do more than catch like three passes in a game. Cause they were just, you know, it was an honesty check on Diggs but uh, particularly last year, you know, you saw the digs part, not keeping up. And then that made, Uh, Davis that much more overexposed on the other side because they weren't countering by running shorter routes. They were just come on, go, go run a go route again. Davis get you beat that guy who runs the four, three. Okay. And he wouldn't do it. And then there's just a lot of, you know, checking down to Kincaid, which also didn't make any sense. Uh, Anyway, I think what the, the bills sooner need is someone like um, honestly uh, probably worthy. If they really are going to make that Davis receiver position, just pull safeties all the time, like get someone fast enough to do it. Uh, it also wouldn't overburden worthy as far as the target count obviously goes uh, like 80 targets a year. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think he'll, he'll be sheltered enough with that, but uh, yeah, Makaki, wherever he goes, there's, a, there's a chance that he'll be like a targeted player, the, a player that the team immediately has a, a role for in mind. And uh, I just, I think he's polished enough to kind of, um you know, start forcing his way into a lot of offenses game plans especially if they especially if they're not like a too tight end offense
1: oh, so he not a future raven uh mcconkey i would doubt
2: it but who knows And they they held a lot better than agalor or you know if, if
1: beckham can only play 20 snaps like they'd be much better with mcconkey obviously yeah i, I think so as well um, before we get out of here, um, any other guys, um, that, that you are going to have your eye on next week or, or guys that you've been taking a closer look at, uh, since we last spoke?
2: Well, I, um, I'd have to concede that Jacob Cowing is not going to go as high as I, I thought he might've, uh, a few months ago, but I still think he looks good. I, I it, it, of course at five nine 165 isn't going to be like an outside conventional three down roll. But if he tests okay enough, uh, I still think his production at UTEP and Arizona both say uh, if you have a slot receiver role, cowing can do the trick. Uh, not It's not going to be like an Amon Ross St. Brown level steal, but he, I don't know, some something good is still there in my opinion. Although granted, if, if he doesn't test well at the combine, that would make it more difficult for me to stand by that. Uh, we didn't talk about Ke- Keon Coleman at all, but he's one of those guys who, probably will test well at the combine and is probably going to generate a lot of hype but i think he needs to do it i think his uh, production at florida state was was kind of concerning and um if a guy has any lack of skill set he needs to offset it with tools but I, you, you're going to see it framed as like he's ascending whereas it would more so be he's treading water
1: he like florida state to me is i feel like i'm being gaslit like i thought that they were so sick that this year, like uh, up until Jordan Travis got hurt and like none of like the, the actual numbers point to them being all that good of a team. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they beat LSU in the, in the first game. And I think that's kind of like catnip to me, you know, it was Labor Day standalone game on, on Monday night. Um, They, they beat Clemson at Clemson, although, you know, turned out to not be a good Clemson team. Uh, and it took till overtime to, to do it. And like all the while, uh, you know, Keon Coleman is just getting, praise lavished on him like the, the entire time like everyone's like this guy is is unbelievable and then i you remember see, like the actual it, yeah and then you know you look at the actual numbers and it's like all right yeah, he's basically
2: yeah. at this point a stunt man like he mm. he makes stunt plays and that's cool and he's 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 young also so he has development time but uh in a tough class like this one I mean, I, before I had a chance to look closer at these guys, I took it as a foregone conclusion, like, oh, I guess Coleman's going to go in the late first or something. I don't think he's going to go in the first 60 picks if he doesn't torch the combine. And even if he torches the combine, I think you're still talking top 60. I think uh, the top 40, I, I wouldn't imagine is in serious reach for him.
1: If I remember correctly, not not to draw a direct uh, Drake London comp by any means, because London was obviously such a better uh, you know, productive player at, at USC, but I think Holman also has a, a basketball background. Like I think Izzo let him play a little bit at, at Sparty. before he went That's to
2: interesting. And um, yeah, I mean, his his go-to hurdle move would kind of indicate a 40 inch vertical. So uh, that's, 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 um, you know, tools are a currency too. It's not, you don't need uh, to be perfect all around, but uh because his skills I, I would assume anyway his production indicates a, a somewhat lagging skill set uh again coleman needs to test that well so uh i expect he will though I, I mean 40 inch vertical you know someone's gonna have some some players are gonna have 11 foot broad jumps it seems like he's a good of a candidate as pretty much anybody
1: yeah so but the don't be surprised if he lights up the the jumps uh next week but you know still an imperfect profile, although I, I do feel like generally uh, that the prospect seeing it has cooled on, on him a little bit, but I, I just wonder if um, they're, they're going to like overcorrect or like count it twice ne- next week. If he does like ultimately, you know, like ha- lead the, lead the receivers. And uh, that's a
2: rookie move, John, but it, it will happen. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a uh, I I can say this too. I would be completely shocked. For instance, if, uh, regardless of
1: what happened at the combine,
2: if I ended up ranking Coleman ahead of someone like McConkie, like I I really think
1: that range is out of reach for him. I, I I think I do um, as well. Um, We will be back next week to, to give our full combine preview. Um, We'll we'll get a little bit more into the nitty gritty as far as, you know, who do we think is going to be the fastest receiver, fastest running back, what we're looking for. As far as that's concerned, we're going to dig in a little bit more into this tight end class as well, because. It is a little bit more than just uh, Brock Bowers, of course, and we'll have to to maybe take the microscope uh, to Brock a little bit. And uh, you know, a lot of people were <laughs> were bagging on on the uh, the optics of that picture of him standing next to Gronk. So we're we're gonna have to uh, to see what what we make of that. Um, and programming note: that one will be coming on Wednesday of next week. So we're gonna record a day early so that this is out. In time for the the combine to get started, but for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. And again, if you aren't signed up yet at Rotowire, but you want a free trial, check out what we got. We got again tons of college football data to, to comb through, and we have a comprehensive combine dating database dating back to I want to say like 2006, something like that, with with pretty much every drill. Uh, entered in there for, for every player from Vernon Adams uh, all the way down across all positions. So if you want to get behind the paywall, check that out. Go to com forward slash pod.